like an imbecile upon the steering wheel in front of you. That would be as wise as for the nauseated voyager to fix his instruments upon the rolling waves. It is the curse of life that nearly everyone looks down. Microscope will never set you free. You must glue your eye to the telescope. Glue your eye to the telescope. Glue your eye to the telescope. Look on, look on, look off. And that, that was a little excerpt from Evelyn Perry's Spin, which is at the Cults through this Saturday, April 20th, and is the story of the ladies of the bicycle throughout the ages. Uh, Evelyn Perry is a spoken word musician and theater creator from Canada, mostly centered in Toronto. And uh, I actually talked to her briefly after the show, um, which I saw on Sunday. And she said that Vancouver is way better than Toronto when it comes to bike lanes and bicycle enjoyment. So um, the whole purpose of SPIN is to illuminate the history of the bicycle specifically as it relates to um, the development of feminism. And, uh, you know, she starts with a very personal uh, aspect of how she feels with uh, how she felt the first time she rode a bike. There was a song about that. And then there was a song about um, Amelia Bloomers, who uh, was as you can tell, uh, the first woman to start wearing uh, short pants underneath her uh, short, and by short I mean showed up to a top of the shoe, skirts. Um, And one of the reasons that she wore these was in order to accommodate riding a bicycle. Riding a bicycle was one of the first ways to have um, independent movement that was accessible because, of course, the other ways were walking, that takes a long time. I'm not into it. And uh, you got your horse, which is pretty expensive, even at the best of times. And, you know, a lady isn't going to go out there and be cleaning up her horse and taking it out. That's what that's what the menfolk are for, of course. And so the bicycle was a, both a symbol and an actual practical aspect of personal freedom. Uh, 
Evelyn then goes on to uh, sing songs and tell stories and be characters from the stories of Miss Bloomer and uh, Francis Willard from 1895. Uh, the song you just heard was based on Instructions for Learning to Ride a Bicycle, uh, which was a, a booklet that was published during her lifetime. Uh, the main bulk of the story uh, actually comes from the story of uh, Annie Lendenderry, uh, whose last name was not her own, but rather actually a corporate sponsorship. And she supposedly was the subject of a bet that a woman could not drive around the wor- uh, ride around the world uh, in 15 months and couldn't do it on her own. And, and she did it. She got corporate sponsorship or, or along the way. And she told stories and she made money. And some say that there was no bet at all. The bet was supposedly for $10,000, but perhaps she made it up. Perhaps, um, you know, it just was a way to be able to be free, be free and get to do this adventure, leave her three kids and her husband at home at the age of 23 and travel around the world. And she was uh, an advertising rep, and I'm an advertising rep, and we are a scurrilous bunch. I'm not going to lie, but we're pretty inventive at the same time. Evelyn Perry uh, tells us all this and more uh, through song, poetry, and theater, as well as reading a really heartwarming letter and giving us a personal insight into her journey uh, as, in her own words, out queer female independent artist um, playing music that is not uh, not top 40 friendly and so she reads a letter from uh, Annie Lendenderry's grandmother uh, granddaughter as well as part of the show so it's a show that's been developing um, post the original release of the album which she developed into the stage show uh, one of my favorite parts of it, beyond the music, which is is great folk rock, um, but, uh, you know, folk isn't really my main passion. What I actually really loved musically was when her uh, performance partner actually played the bicycle, played the bicycle using contact mites and electrification, uh, played every aspect from the seat to the spokes with the bow. Uh, you had your drum roll pedals and your uh, hi-hat handlebars and your bells and it was really really great accompaniment um i also like that he sang the soprano parts of the songs it was really interesting to to learn about the bike as a, a product as a piece of uh corporate consumerism as well as a ex- escape from it and it was really interesting to learn and and i think you'd be surprised as to how these types of technologies really influence you know it was mass produced before the T uh, the T Ford by for example so its production uh, inspired uh, Mr Ford to start uh, his factory so um, the show is running at the Cult through the twentieth um, Evelyn Perry is touring the show and so if you would like to find out more you can go to the dot com and check it out it's just on venables there and uh, yeah i recommend it the the music's uh, really cute and i and i really like her characterizations of uh francis willard and annie Londonderry and uh especially the gentleman who said that it could never be done like the doctors who say that said that riding a bicycle was, was poor for our wombs our precious precious wombs so uh the, what you heard first was instructions for learning to ride a bicycle and uh, we, I think what we'll do is we'll listen to another song. We'll listen to uh, the ballad of Annie Londonderry, uh, which is one of the more um, 
story-based songs in the show and that'll give you and then uh, we'll take a break and when we return we'll be talking to Katie Schroeder um, and Sarah Lapsley and Katie will be talking about uh, the current exhibit at the Satellite Gallery 560 there um, Full Frontal which is a, a collection curated by Katie that looks into masculinity. So from feminism to masculinity, which I think actually the study of is very feminist. Uh, we can't we can't let men go walking around being unexamined. I think females are pretty examined in our society. And uh, it's dude's turn. That's what's going on. Uh, what I will say is that we will also have Adam Pateman up later in the show. So we've got uh, some frank talk no pun intended, or pun intended, uh, about uh, masculinity, and then some comedy. So if uh, we're going to be talking about uh, probably a lot of, probably the word penis is going to come up a lot. So if you find that kind of talk unsavory, I would actually uh, encourage you to tune in anyway, you know, aversion therapy, uh, and you'll miss some some really interesting stuff. But if that is something that makes you uncomfortable, um, this is your warning. So here is Evelyn Perry's uh, The Ballad of Annie Londonderry, and Spin is playing at the Cult through this Saturday, April 20th. And during the day, listen to us uh, for Record Store Day as well, this Saturday. The Ballad of Annie Londonderry by Evelyn Perry. Would you take a dare? Would you take a wager? What would you wear? Would you wear bloomers? Would you leave your home without any money? Would you care if people look to you funny? Annie Londonderry, Annie Londonderry, Annie Londonderry rode no ordinary. In 1894, a young woman by the name of Annie Londonderry began her journey to become the first woman to ride around the world on a bicycle. She went alone. She left her husband at home with her three children. She was settling a bet between two businessmen, $20,000 to 10, that no woman could beat the record of the only man, one Thomas Stevens, to have cycled round the world some 10 years previous. The terms of the men's wager was this. She must begin her journey penniless. Accept no gratuities. Earn $5,000 on her journey. Collect the signatures of American authorities in every foreign city she rode through to prove where she had been. She had 15 months to complete the ride, and then the prize of $10,000 would be hers. So on a day in June, 1894, packing only a pearl-handled revolver, and a change of underwear. Annie Londonderry set out from her home in Boston to stick it to the man. Would you take a dare? Would you take a wager? What would you wear? Would you wear bloomers? Would you care to change things? Would you dare to change things? Would you be laughed at? Shrug off the laugh track? Would you ride your bike through the desert without a map? Would you go alone? Annie Londonderry, Annie Londonderry, Annie Londonderry rode no On the morning of Annie's departure, a crowd, some 500 strong, gathered in front of the Massachusetts State House to bear witness, to do business. Sponsors, well-wishers, women's rights agitators, suffragists, naysayers, disapprovers, disbelievers, onlookers, curiosity seekers, and a representative from Pope Bicycle Manufacturers. Columbia Safety, 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 that stand for speed. 
strength and beauty. The Columbia Safety Bicycle is made with brains and conscience by both manufacturers. Biggest and best bicycle manufacturer in the world. Now, there are so many amazing things about this lady, but not the least of which is Londonderry. Wasn't actually Annie's last name, although it became her claim to fame. Imagine my surprise to discover that Londonderry was actually the name of her major sponsor. The Londonderry Lithia Water Company gave Annie the money to start her journey and an advertising placard to hang on her bike. And off she rode like a kite in the wind. Oh, freedom. Prevents rheumatism, dyspepsia, indigestion, and heart disease. Proudly sponsored by Bottled Water. The new woman. Cures insomnia, insanity, apoplexy, and heart failure. Taking a product as her own last name, effectively marrying a company for material gain. Would you take a dare? Would you take a wager? What would you wear? Would you wear bloomers? What would it take for you to change your last name? Is it all a game? Is it all the same? A sponsor, a sponsor. What's in a name? Annie Londonderry, Annie Londonderry, Annie Londonderry Road. No By the time I got to New York, I spent some time devising a more practical riding costume. Well, I set out from Boston in my blue serge skirt, petticoats, corset, shirtwaist, jacket, hat, and gloves, but I soon found that my skirt kept getting in the way whenever I tried to make any speed, and I would be obliged to stop and fix it. So my new riding costume is made up of long bloomers under a short skirt, which comes only to my shoe tops. This way, when the wind blows, I don't have to stop to hold down my skirts. Finally, she traded her skirts all together. Now wearing long bloomers gathered at the ankle, she also traded in her 42-pound Ladies Columbia Roadster for a 21-pound Men Sterling Rover. Lighter, sleeker, easier, faster. Sterling, 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 ride the road like a lady. Lady, lady, you could ride around the world like Miss Annie Londonderry. Sandy Londonderry arrived in Buffalo yesterday afternoon and rode to the rooms of the Rambler Cycling Club, where she answered the considerable correspondence awaiting her. Miss Londonderry's riding tray presents a fairy. She's a bad. I'm sick and tired of hearing your band playing on and on and on. Gosh, so loud. Man. I wish we had a safe place to play music. Yeah, and shows too. The Safe Amplification Site Society is a non-profit group dedicated to establishing a legal, affordable, all-ages venue for music and arts in Vancouver. For more information or to get involved, check out www.safeamp.org. April 19th brings humans back to Vancouver for their first hometown gig in 2013. Coming off five raging shows in Austin, Texas for South by Southwest, humans are on top of their game. The boys are heading out to Europe in May to play the Great Escape and tour surrounding countries. So come party with humans and friends Max Ulis and Lady Friend, April 19th at the Electric Owl. Tickets available at dashhumansowl.eventbrite.ca or at Zulu, Red Cat, Sitka, and the Electric Owl. Hi everybody, this is Fred Penner and you are listening to The Arts Report on CITR 
101.9 FM. Hi, we're back on the Arts Report. This is Sarah Lapsley, um, and I'm here with Katie Schroeder. And so uh, last week, I went to the opening of Full Frontal at the Satellite Gallery. So it's running from April 12th until May 11th. And the show explores masculinity, sort of ranging from this sort of hyper-masculine symbol of the phallus, um, like representing dominance and male power, to the penis, which is, quote, limp and vulnerable. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that and um, what you think the difference is between the phallus and the penis? Well, I've chosen works that um, that show the phallus as this extremely powerful um, symbol of male power. And um, and in turn, and I've showed, uh, brought in works by Russell Fitzgerald that show this limp penis. So this kind of these two extremes. Um, and that we, the idea being that we don't see the penis and it's hidden from us in our society. Hmm. Yeah. So like this idea of it being taboo, why do you think it's taboo? I think the phallus has, is such, has such a strong, um, is so strongly associated with male power that this, the idea of the penis can never live up to the phallus. So um, in the exhibition, I'm trying to bring works together that that explore kind of different portrayals of the male sexualized body um, and kind of breaking that taboo, showing why or, or kind of uh, making the viewer question why. Why is it that we don't see these images of, of, um, of flaccid penises or even of the penis? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting because you see that one extreme and it's, it's shown in several of the works of that. I mean, most, like... Like Michael Morris's yeah. um, Mechanics Illustrated. Yeah, we're shy because we're talking about penis and phalluses. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael Morris's were kind of like art deco lithographs or mm -hmm. sketches of these phallic symbols, and they were really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And did they have other than being sort of beautiful, do you think they had any meaning beyond that? Well, I really see them working in the show as kind of, of tying this idea of the phallus and male power to civilization and um, to the idea of the triumphs of man, the capital, uh, capital M. Um, if you go to the show, that you'll, you'll see that these works, um, they look like rockets and spaceships, and they're, they're really abstract, so they're, they're so far from the anatomical organ but um, they're very clearly phallic symbols. Mm -hmm. um, they look like obelisks, so you get this idea of kind of this tradition um, historically and uh, fu like, uh, very futuristic of, of male power and tying it to, to powerful civilizations. Yeah, I really liked those because they were the closest thing in my mind to sort of a spiritual um, or a truly artistic rendering of the phallus as mm -hmm. something that sort of like in ancient religion, you know, the phallus being sort of worshipped. Right, right. As compared to some of the phallic images that were um, more related to patriarchy. And mm -hmm. the, the one being that stood out so much and sort of a centerpiece of the show is the Attila Richard Lucas one. Right. Um, and it's just a stunning work of sort of, it's like a pyramid of paintings with gold painting around each individual painting it's like a checkerboard of um like pentagon type men mm -hmm. tell me a bit more about that one so this is a work by um as you said Attila Richard Lucas and it's uh from 1990 it's it's titled We Care A Lot um 
I, I like, I, well, I kind of see that title as working facetiously. Um, so it's, as you said, it's this hierarchical pyramid, and at the top is uh, this, this army ranger, and he has the American flag behind him, the globe next to him. And in the, his accompanying square, it's, it says to interested young men. So um, for me, there is, in choosing these works, I was thinking about works that showed, showed the phallus and male, like kind of this, um, this organ is representing, or this symbol of an orga, organ representing symbolic male power, but also how, um, how it doesn't necessarily have to be present. So kind of thinking about this phallic authority, thinking about these ideas of male power in ways that... Um, and, and, and for example, in this work, we don't we don't see the phallus, but I, I very much feel its presence. Yeah, and and this idea of they're they're sort of selling a rotten bill of goods, you know, to the young man that they're interested in, mm-hmm. and it sort of has that double layer of being kind of what what did you say the catchphrase was? We're interested in you, or, or to interested young men. To interested young and men, and each each um, kind of military man, or kind of they look like established men in their fields, very authoritative. Um, each man is paired with um, a, a kind of a, a title, discipline, or um, uh, athletics. So, kind of these different um, these different um, sort um, kind of domains of masculinity I guess yeah, yeah exactly exactly kind yeah. of these fields foundational to masculinity yeah but and it's sort of like you know in themselves they're 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 not bad mm-hmm. but there's something sinister about it right anyway right and they're yeah. they're kind of they all stare very frontally out and it's this idea of um I see it working in the show as this idea of men controlling other other men so mm-hmm. it's, it's all about kind of this idea of control and authority which is um, which is how I see the phallus working. The phallus is um, not only this kind of this uh, is not only the the kind of this hyper um, hyper strong and uh, dominating penis, but it's also um, it 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 requires men to embody these characteristics of strength and power and um, domination. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's sort of like. The idea that patriarchy subjugates women, but also, also men. Also men, exactly, yeah. exactly. And that came through in the film. Now, I didn't catch that much of the film, but it was quite uh, striking. And and I want to know more about it, but this image of these young, handsome men going through this hazing ceremony is quite mm-hmm. erotic. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. But tell me about it. Definitely. So this is, this is um, we've used a still, this is Noam Gonick's film um, titled No Safe Words. Being um, kind of the idea being in uh, S and M, there there is a safe word, but here he's playing with that and saying there are no safe words, and he's um, the the image actually that we've been using for promotional um, promotional purposes for Full Frontal. We've been using a still from his um, from his film. So as you said, it's incredibly powerful. We have these football players that are actually um, he filmed with the UBC Thunderbirds. Woo-hoo. Um, <laughs> Go UBC! Go UBC! So he filmed with them, and um, and he he gave some direction, but it was it was um, he he kind of, he exactly he asked them to kind of show scenes of hazing, and um, but he did instruct them to do this one scene of waterboarding, and so we have these men um, on their knees with their hands tied behind their back, and another another uh, shirtless man places these boyish briefs in um, different colors over their heads. And it's really, um, he was looking at this as kind of a, a, way, to in, a way to investigate um, kind of the queer subtext to, um, to uh, cl- like, uh, to the war, kind of like the war torture that's been happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a very political message. 
there's a lot of homo when you were talking about like um to interested men that's there's a very homo social like context mm-hmm. there like men i mean you know there are areas where like if you went somewhere as a queer man in your in your uniform I mean, that would be considered drag like high drag so like there's this when men talking to men with these very directed stares mm-hmm. i mean there's this there's um and and that homosocialism is always eroticized because men repress their sexuality right. so much mm-hmm. in society. And in in that same room, um, with the um, Richard or the Attila Richard Lucas piece, and and next to the Gnome Gonic, so we have these themes of militarization. And there's um, there's a, a sculpture by Adam Rolston, and it's um, boxes of condoms, the Trojan condoms. Five boxes, five boxes of condoms mm-hmm. stacked up. Mm-hmm. Kind of a. Uh, kind of a new version of Andy Warhol's kind of Brillo boxes, but he's he stacked these boxes and it's in a triangular pyramid, so it's very much kind of reflecting that hierarchy mm. of the, um, the, the large painting by Attila behind it. But it's that idea of Trojans, kind of the military, and this is what you put on for penetration and it's, it's conquest. It's, it's, I find... I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was in a class, and, and one of the things they talked about is, is how like normative normative structures are, are unexamined. So, whiteness, maleness, mm-hmm. um, able-bodiedness, straightness—these mm-hmm. are things that are invisible because they're considered norm. Like they're a baseline, and then everything else is different from right. that thing. So uh, that's yeah. what I find interesting about projects like this. So on that theme of subjugation, Mm -hmm. men subjugating men, I chose a song to play um, by the punk rock band Circle Jerks, and it's from their album Group Sex, and it's called Uh Back Up Against the Wall, and it's about it's on that theme, about the feeling subjugated by the man. Sarah loves the punk. She always brings in (laughs) punk music. If you met her in person, you wouldn't think, like, this girl knows her punk music, but she does. She does. Thank you. Okay, um... So we're going to play the song, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the exhibit? About the penis. Awesome. Mm, The penis. Circle Jerks from their album that was the Circle Jerks from their album Group Sex and their song Back Against the Wall 
And now I'm here with Katie Schroeder, and we're talking about the show Full Frontal that's on at the Satellite Gallery right now. So we've been talking about the phallus, the hypermasculine phallus, a symbol of majestic power. And now we're going to switch over to the uh, sort of the other theme of the show, which is the penis, which is kind of different. Right, right, and but equally I, valuable. I was. Um, it's pretty amazing. So I was. I was using. I'm using works from the Belkin collection, and um, so I, I kind of saw in the in the works. I was looking at the theme of either this really powerful, um, this really powerful phallus, or uh, uh, artists interpreting the penis in other ways and giving it um, kind of bringing different subjectivities to it and really um, opening up the um, the discussion around male sexuality through kind of these different representations of the male sexualized body. So that was um, that was kind of what I'm trying to do with this exhibition. It's not only create a dialogue, but try to free this free this organ from the confines of <laughs> of the of phallic authority. Well, yeah, and I think my favorite one uh, work in the show was called American Airlines Breakfast. Yes. And it's a huge color photograph of just this man's lap. He's on a plane. He's got like a breakfast tray. He's wearing white jeans. It's so unexpected. His flaccid penis is just hanging out of his pants. And in the um, write-up for the show, it sort of talks about this idea of like... Centering. Centering the penis. Centering the anatomical organ and kind of almost as a form of protest. Yeah, sort of form of protest. But here it is so out of place. Right you know, like exposed where it would normally be hidden or contained. Right. And even more so kind of the idea of it being in an airplane, this hyper regulated environment um, that kind of if we are thinking about the state and the law, we I mean, the airplanes and we think about airports and it's kind of this this just um, governmental control and so much um, so many kind of regulations and um, rules that you have to abide by. So Mm -hmm. in this scene, and as you said, it's a very banal breakfast kind of really unappetizing scene of his tray table down in this breakfast and then he has his penis hanging or kind of he's holding it offering it out yeah and it's funny because on the one hand it is sort of that vulnerable limp state at the same time just by virtue of being out it's an aggressive act right essentially yeah so i and this is this is um I feel like he's kind of claiming his body in this sense that it's really um, it's cen- it's centering it, and I I, I think so often the um, it's the phallus that are kind of our society centers, and we we hide the penis away, and here here he is right in this in this hyper controlled environment showing it. Mm-hmm. It's funny because you you see him as I mean there's no picture of his face, but you see him kind of compassionately or as a friendly figure, whereas I took it more like oh here's this creepy guy. <laughs> You know, so it's interesting, but definitely try that next time you're on a plane and see what happens. <laughs> the the other one that was really interesting was Glenn Lewis, uh, his work. Right, right. And he's a Vancouver artist affiliated with the Vancouver School. Mm-hmm. And he does, I believe, like more, more outdoor kind of installations. I'm not entirely sure, but he did something in the 80s. And tell me more about that what so, happened so this um and this really kind of gets again to that idea of keeping the penis hidden and how um, the state really regulates control over um, the male sexualized body um and so he um he was commissioned by the canadian government to make a ceramic mural for the it was um actually in 1970 it was the the osaka world fair and um or sorry the the world's fair in osaka japan 
So he um, he made this this salt this mural out of 176 ceramic salt uh, salt shaker tiles. But when they arrived in Osaka, the commissioner general decided that these were these were too phallic. That these um, protruding salt shakers, um, kind of some of them in different stages of collapse, some with kind of only one salt shaker hole, were um, were were too uh, too penis like. Mm-hmm. So, so he actually had no intention of it being phallic. Well, that or? that can that can be debated. He says, um, "Well, actually, yeah, it's." Uh, I, I won't answer that for him. But yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask him yeah. next time I see him. He's also uh, um, a horticulturalist who has made several types of tulips of his own crossbreeding. That's really? just a fun fact about wow. Glenn Lewis. I th- I, th- I believe so. Yeah, but. Um, it's neat because, yeah, so they show photos of the tiles, these sort of protruding right. um, things, phallic things, mm-hmm. and then showing the letter that he received from Japan saying why he couldn't show it. Right, right, exactly. So I, in this exhibition, I wanted to use works both from the Belkin Art Collection and from the Belkin Archives. And so this was a piece from the archives. This, um, the work Artifact is actually now in the collection of the VAG. But um, so I was just using photographs of the mural. And as you said, the letter, which is quite funny because it is so telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really worth seeing. There's 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 tons of great stuff in the show. It was a really fun opening. And so tell us a little bit about your getting your master's degree. This was actually part of the requirements for your master's of That's arts. Right. And That's you study right. in the Department of Critical and Curatorial Studies. So tell us a little bit about the program and your work and... So this is um, this is a program I, I received my majors in my major in art history and I decided to um, to pursue art history but in the field of curatorial studies. Um, so this is a program. It's uh, under the umbrella of uh, art history and visual arts. Um, it's a five. There are five people in my program, and so it's very small. We really um, we really work with our advisors, and um, in this case, I was able to work with the Belkin, which was amazing. So I went through their collection. They have over 4,000 works, and I started to see this theme of uh, the male sexualized body kind of reoccurring, and so I made a PowerPoint of the works, or some of the works, because there, there are so many, and I started to kind of uh, um, form an exhibition around them. Oh, really? So you actually... You you didn't come in with the idea. No, you looked at no. what was there and it emerged. It, the the works are so amazing, and it was just it was actually the Russell Fitzgerald work of these two sad limp penises on gold plates on top of a Confederate flag that really got me thinking about this idea of the kind of the penis versus the phallus, you know, the the phallus of virility and uh, military and state kind of haunting these penises yeah well I think and we should probably wrap up because we have someone else on but yeah I think it's really important it talks in the write-up about men's studies and the emergence of men's studies and it really is so important to get all this stuff out on the table and Mm -hmm. and like Megan said we we've examined femininity and and we need to do that with men because men do suffer under patriarchy as as well Mm -hmm. so yeah it's been fabulous to talk to you thank you Sarah this is awesome so the show is full frontal it runs from April 12th until May 11th at the satellite gallery 560 Seymour Street it's on the second floor Um, and the hours are Wednesday to Saturday 12 to 6 and you can check it out at www.satellitegallery.ca so we've got one more song to play is there anything you want to add I just wanted to know if there was anything else that Katie has coming up in terms of projects that she wanted to plug. 
Well, I, I'm going to be working on my thesis for this, uh, on this exhibition, so really going into these issues even more and researching. So I'm really excited about that. That okay. will be my summer. Oh, nice. well, good luck. Thank you. You know, there's, there's worse things to spend your summer on. <laughs> the books are fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and in Wreck Beach, you know, it's like, it's like <laughs> ethnography. Take yeah. it to the source. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm going to be working my thesis this summer, too, looking at veterans and some of the, the post-traumatic stress they come back with and some we've talked a little bit about right. that Katie and I about these issues of hypermasculinity and woundedness and you know and their real life manifestations mm-hmm. well I mean not to get too Freudian about it but I mean you know what the wound like a wound it's an opening it's very female you're being feminized yeah. by violence I like that yeah yeah <laughs> Well, the next, so we're going to, anything else? That was one of the funnest things I've done for the art support, I have to say, overall. If you too can talk about penises on air in a creative critical context for the arts report. Without getting giggly. Yeah. Um, But the song I chose as sort of an outro is by Pansy Division, and they're an independent band. I don't know where they're from. San Francisco? They played with the Smugglers. I remember seeing them with the Smugglers many years ago. But this song is called Cowboys Are Frequently Secretly Fond of Each Other. So yeah, thanks Katie Schroeder for coming in. Thank you, Sarah and Megan. And I'm Sarah Lapsley. Thanks, Megan.
secretly, secretly fond of each other Even though they take speed and drive pickups and shoot their big guns There's many a cowboy who don't understand the way that he feels towards his brother There's many a cowboy who keeps quiet about things he's done Thursday, April 25th at UBC's Chan Center for the Performing Arts, it's Taj Mahal and Shamikia Copeland. Composer, multi-instrumentalist, and vocalist Taj Mahal is one of the most prominent and influential figures in late 20th century blues and roots music. His artistic scope represents virtually every corner of the world, West Africa, the Caribbean, Latin America, Europe, the Hawaiian Islands, and so much more. Shamikia Copeland is the daughter of blues legend Johnny Copeland. Her powerful voice is guaranteed to raise your spirits. Tickets are on sale at the Chan Center box office, High Life Records, and Rufus's Guitar Shop. You are listening to the Terry Project. Terry Project. The Terry Project. Terry Project podcast from CITR. CITR 101.9 FM. Here at UBC. The University of British Columbia. In Vancouver. To find out more, even more, about the Terry Project, visit our website at terry.ubc.ca and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. My one big idea is priceless. What can be better than that? Wild questions, huh? Well, a cluster fun is like a buttered bun. It's like a baby burp. It's like a birdie chirp. It's like an ice cream you want to slurp. It's like the sadness and madness you only feel when you kill. And it's the cluster fun on this date with these people at this place. And we are back on CITR 101.9. What you just heard, that little gem, it's Cluster Fun. It's time for Cluster Fun. On April 22nd at the Havana, there will be an event uh, with Ivan Decker, Warren Bates, Katie Ellie Humphreys, and other hilarious peoples hosted by the gentleman to my left, Adam Paintman. And I'm going to turn on his mic because Mike 2 is kind of i don't think he's as much a phallus as he is up <laughs> awesome well yeah thanks so much for having welcome me. to the show oh thanks for having me on the um show. one of uh, i have a penchant for east fan comedy mm-hmm. uh i will collect them all you comedians are just pokemon to me is all i'm saying oh you gotta collect them all i gotta collect them all yeah um adam paintman please introduce yourself to our audiences and do the work that i did not do in researching your background <laughs> well uh sounds good yeah my name is adam paintman i am a uh uh, comedian here in Vancouver, and I run this uh, monthly show called Cluster Fun that we're talking about, and uh, it's at the Havana under the East Van Comedy umbrella. Um, it's this Monday at 9 p.m., and uh, yeah, it's it's like a comedy variety show, so um, my whole thing is that I wanted to have a show uh, that incorporated stand-up and improv and sketch and music and video in a big cluster of uh, fun yeah would if so i know i've been i haven't been to cluster fun i'm coming on monday sweet um i have been to the hero show mm-hmm. so is it kind of that kind of where you're you're going beyond just stand up 
Yeah, that was actually a very inspiring show to go to because um, a friend of mine, Cameron McLeod, mm-hmm. he, he has runs, been on the show. Yes, he's wonderful. Uh, he's actually been on Cluster Fun as well. He runs the show called The Hero Show um, every few months, and it, what that is is a uh, like a, a solo yeah. sketch show where there's no stand up. It's just uh, you know one performer goes up and they do like a solo sketch, and I was like, this is really cool because like a lot of people were going to it, and it was just a really new idea. Mm-hmm. And it was a place where stand-ups and improv, improv comedians finally got along for the first yeah. time. In, in, in Since the dawn of man. <laughs> right. And now it's actually like there's a lot more um, of people like, you know, jumping over the fence and trying out the, the other side of the coin in terms of comedy in this city. So I thought what better way to, to kind of showcase all that than to have like a comedy variety show where there's stand-up and improv together as well as sketch and all and, and not so like individualistic yeah yeah and it's it's just a great place for people to find out about each other because like there's some improvisers that don't know about certain stand-ups and then they find out that they love them and then vice versa and there's like improv groups that you know stand-ups for, for years they've always been like really they were just poo-poo upon uh what improv is and i was like that's not fair because it's, it's uh get along guys um let's take it back for a second sounds good Adam Hateman. Yeah. You are just starting to realize... When did you realize that you were funny? Which is, I think, the number one oh, yeah. standard comedy question. Mm-hmm. And then uh, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, doing comedy in Vancouver and kind of what, what that's been like for you, how long you've been doing it, etc. Okay. Um, I guess when I figured out I was funny... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I'm, this st- is, I'm still waiting. This is a ve- oh, you, you are already funny. That, I'll, yeah. I'll give you that. Um, Hook that compliment. Uh, take <laughs> it. Put that in your pocket with all your Pokemon collections of comedians. Um, yeah, it was a very specific moment, actually. Uh, like I was, um, I would, I would, I would always try to like you know get a rise out of people in class and blah blah blah. But uh, I remember when the movie Cool Runnings came out. Classic. Uh, I like it was just this. It was an ad for Cool Runnings. It was on TV, and I took it upon myself to learn all the dialogue from the trailer <laughs> and then I would just do it for these kids in the cul-de-sac uh, by my friend's house and every day after school I would try to get better at it and better at it and try to make it funnier and it was kind of like I was just doing this uh, I don't know Jamaican accent as an eight-year-old and that was like getting a great reaction and I felt really good about it and then from then on I just like everything I did in class was just totally you know you killed. I was killing for years in class and then, uh, yeah, I guess in high school I started a sketch group with my now co-producer Max Mitchell for uh, Cluster Fun. Um, we started this like sketch show for the Fringe when I was sixteen, and then a lot of people that were in that are now still involved in the comedy community in Vancouver. Precocious, mm-hmm. so precocious. Right. And uh, so, would you? So would you consider yourself stand-up or improv? Um, mostly st- it's been stand-up. Uh, okay. This year I've kind of gotten back into improv in more full force. Back with, to your roots. Yeah. Uh, with instant theater, mm-hmm. um, which I trained with them years ago. And then I kind of, uh, I was doing stand-up kind of more primarily and like focused just on that. And then, uh, and then when, uh, East Fan Comedy started having their whole thing going on and, and instant theater was, uh, um, you know, back on my radar much more, I was like, I should get back into this. And it's an amazing community in this city. So, um, yeah, there's just some incredible improv, incredible stand-up in the city. So, yeah, go see those shows. 
Well, why don't we listen to a song and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about Adam Pateman. Uh, let's uh, let's play a little bit of uh, one of Adam's choices, Doug and the Slugs, Too Bad. Sweet. On CITR 101.9. <laughs> CITR 101.9. We're talking to Adam Hateman. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam, here's something that we were talking about what we're going to talk about next. This is completely different. I just came up with this. Do you have any weird nicknames oh, that I um, can tell everyone about? Any, well, any secret nicknames? I, really, I would love to have a nickname. Um, uh, the only one I've... Like, I've helped people coin their nicknames. Like, I knew this girl in high school, and she just had, like, really prominent big blue eyes. Mm-hmm. So I called her Eyeballs. Oh, that's clever. And so today, like, <laughs> like now it's 12 years later and people still call her eyeballs, which is... It's kind what? of complimentary in a way. Well, yeah, because it comes from the fact that she's got big, beautiful blue eyes. Aww. And uh, uh, my friend uh, Spencer, we called him Smalls because he, like, it was based on, like, a Sandlot reference because, like, he came Classic. into the social scene later and he was, like, a, he's a total shortstop of a guy. So, yeah. But my nicknames, no, I have... Uh, I. There was a short window when people called me Gramps because I wore uh, old man pants that I would get at uh, vintage stores. Like that's in now. It's it's in now. At, at the time, it was not in, and now I'm outgrown it. Yeah, I've so. had I've had times like that where like I was so far ahead of the curve that I wasn't cool yet, mm-hmm. and then I just like couldn't stick it out. Yeah, you know, you gotta stick it out. 
I know. Like, it's funny. It's like, I've noticed that when kids are like, when you're a teenager and you dress like kind of a freak uh, in like a great way, that's the way I did it. When you become like 20, 25, and then onward, it's just like, it sort of like becomes like a diet version of the way that you dressed when you were a teenager. Yep. So if you'll meet like a hairdresser who's like 30, she's like kind of punky, but you yep. like, you're like, if she's that punky still, I say punky like a square. Um, <laughs> punky. <laughs> yeah, if she's a punky Brewster, um, <laughs> uh, then you're just like, ah, oh, you must have been a total freak in high school. But uh, I, I don't like, I guess that's kind of true. I've kind of come back to it, but I also think that uh, I, for a long time, did not. I don't. I do. I don't do things with my wardrobe and hair mm-hmm. that I just distinctly remind me of high school. Yeah, because I was. I think I was nondescript. Oh in man, high school. I don't know what I was. I was like, I made my own hair gel because I had this like really ridiculous hair. Because I went to like a really, I don't know, very punk high school mm-hmm. in Vic High in Victoria, and uh, I had I made this like satellite dish type of like mohawk thing that would just like go across my bangs and then it would taper into my neck like you can't see this at home folks but he's just making like a square around yeah. his head it's very yeah. district descriptive and like yeah terrifying it, it was like a triceratops type of thing and it looked amazing of like, course <laughs> but if i were to do it now it would be so distracting so but like it you a teenager can pull it off but if you're an adult you, you want to be noticed for your comedy stylings not your hairstyling yeah no it'll just be distracting so but maybe i should bring it back yeah, it's never too late. It's never too late. Now, um, so Cluster Fun, this is its, like, fourth show. Yeah. So ha- have you made, like, between what you envisioned and mm-hmm. what is actually happening, mm-hmm. uh, what, are there any, have there been any major, like, differences or surprises that, uh, that well, came about? That's interesting because, like, uh, yes, I, it's it's been this, like, ongoing effort to make, like, a really incredible uh, show. The first show that we had at Cluster Fun, it was, like, it was my first show that I had produced in a few years, and I was trying to do something completely different, where it's like, you go to most stand-up shows, and it's just like, there's a microphone, and people go up and they tell jokes. And then if you go to an improv show, it's just a blank stage, and then there are some lighting cues, blah, blah, blah. And that, at least that's like a little more theatrical. So I was trying to like incorporate as much uh, of like the theater space as we could, and try to have like lighting cues and sound cues and stuff, and actually like make it like a show show. And the first few shows, it was so hard to... like get a tech guy and all those things figured out but in the last show we were able we like we finally figured out how to simply make like a video transition to go to like blackouts and lights and stuff so there's it's a lot more multimedia now and uh there's a lot of more like lighting gags and stuff like that that we're able to do so it's Mm -hmm. more of a theater show and uh it's the type of thing that like yeah it's more visually stimulating in terms of like a technical element now mm-hmm. um so yeah that's new and uh yeah it'll be more like that on monday as well uh in the background here we have we are 1980 which i thought this was you know mm-hmm. we're talking about childhood uh from said the whale who is uh, I guess a, a favorite local favorite of yours yeah it's a funny story because i actually uh used to work at a movie theater with ben worcester who's in said the whale oh, okay and then uh you know like you have a friend who's in a band and you like you listen to some of their stuff and you say they're really good like mm-hmm. yeah man I, I really like your stuff i've for years i've always had to lie to people and be like yeah your brand's great sure but uh then you, heard, you say you show up and then you're like oh i was busy yeah. oh yeah and then when i actually heard him play like years ago before they were said the whale i was just like man this actually really is good so i was like i feel so it makes me so happy that i don't have to lie 
And uh, and now, yeah, they're actually one of my like favorite bands. And it's just nice to like, you know, know somebody who's on the up and up. Yep, that's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Now I have uh, a question. Uh, I have a segue to my next question. The mm-hmm. segue is: uh, This is a Vancouver band. You are a Vancouver comedian. Yep. Give me, give me uh, some. Give me an epic high, epic low kind of uh, combo for some of your Vancouver comedy moments. Ooh. Uh, the lowest of the low in terms of like bad shows of them. Um, they used to go to Douglas College. I don't know if you know where that is. Yep. New West. And uh, I was asked by the student union there to uh, do some stand up on this like pub night. Oh. It's like they buy. I'm already cringing. It, it, was, <laughs> it was the worst. Because it was my first year of doing it. So, first of all, like the first piece of this puzzle was that it was bad. It was terrible like, at comedy at the time. Just figuring it out. And second part of it is that no one was there to see comedy at all. No one had any inkling that that was going to happen. And so they just had this, like, DJ playing. And everyone was totally into it, and everyone's totally hammered. And it was just, like, pub night and DJs, and everyone was really into it. And then, and then you're like, shh, 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 everyone stop having fun. Oh, dude, it, it was worse than that, because, like, they came up to me. They're like, oh, great, you're here. Um, so where's your microphone? I was like, ah! <laughs> I'm not a band that comes and brings his own microphone. That's not how it works at all. Though I think people should bring their own microphones because where have those things been? Come on. I know. And it's cool. It if seemed like such like, a comedy diva, though. Yeah. In that case. I know Graham Clark has his own, uh, a, like, 1930s style microphone that you can set Proves up. Proves my point. Yeah. It's, well, it's, but yeah. What a diva that Graham Clark. <laughs> I, I think he got it for Christmas and he, he used it once and he was like, this is awkward to hold. Back to the old microphone. <laughs> So, yeah, they were like, where's your microphone? And I'm like, I don't have one, of course. So I had to send my friend home to find a microphone because he lived nearby. But he was, like, in film, so he had, like, a big boom mic. So it was like, and it was so complicated that it wouldn't go into the sound system. Um, So he also brought a megaphone. And so I started trying to tell jokes into this megaphone. So this DJ was just like, what's going on? Oh, okay. And he just, like, he didn't even, like, phase out the music. It was just like, and just cut it. And then immediately I was be in the corner with a megaphone being like, so what do you guys think about college? Isn't it crazy? So many booings. So many people hating me. And a guy actually threw a full pint glass, a full pint of beer at me. And it somehow, like, as it twirled through the air, was stayed full. Like, it wasn't like it spilled and then a glass hit me. It hit me in the chest. Oh, my goodness. Broke in half. Oh, like the glass Evan. broke and beer got all over me and everything. And then my friend who I mean, said, that sucks for you, but uh, that guy did a really good job of heckling he, he, right then. Well, yeah, but yeah. like really violent. Yeah, violent. If, uh, if that's what you're, if that was his goal, oh, goal achieved. Yeah, he, t- he nailed it. And then my friend who was standing next to him was like, <gasps> and then just pour beer on his head. And then it started this little brawl. And I was like, ooh. And then I just kind of cowered away. And then, like, got out of there. But, my God, that was unbelievably, like, that was the worst show. That You know what, though? For a bunch of college students at Douglas Mm -hmm. College, that you just made a memory. You made them a memory. Because they're going to tell that story to their great-grandchildren. Well, I will. I don't know. For them, it's like a hazy thing where they're just like, yeah, I think we saw this guy trying to hold ropes. Yeah, it was bad. Do you have a, do you have a, maybe a... A, a story that counterbalances that in terms of its positivity. Um, yeah, I've got a, I've, I've had very fond memories of comedy as well. Um, yeah, I guess uh, I've gotten to like perform with some like pretty, pretty prolific dudes that I really like. I, I did a show with uh, um, 
like way before he was like ever like a household name, Zach Galifianakis did a show at uh, Al Cocal on Commercial Drive when Graham Clark was running a show there. Pre Beard or um, this was this was during Beard. I did see him pre Beard at uh, the Urban Well years before that. Wow! And uh, I got to to pee next to him in a bathroom stall. Well, not not in a stall. That would be weird. <laughs> like we're both standing that in the same stall. That would be a good story, though. Oh yeah. Yeah, me. Yeah, we were crossing the streams together. <laughs> no, like, and I had never seen him before. And like at the Urban Well, he was at a urinal. I was at a urinal, and I was like, "Hey, man, great job!" And then I immediately was like, "Why am I talking to a man?" Like that was the first and last time I ever talked to somebody while while at the urinal. But uh, it's because the the <laughs> penis is a symbol of uh, flaccid power. I don't know uh, mm-hmm. from earlier. Yeah, I was bringing listening. it back. Yeah. Bringing it back. Bringing it. Always bringing it back to the penis, Megan. Yeah. Well, it's comedy. Mm. Yeah, you're right. It's like a Greek. It's a Greek <laughs> thing. The phallus. Yeah, yeah. You're it's right. classic. We're, it's classical humor. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm agreeing a lot of times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I got to do shows with uh, with like people like that. Uh, I lived in New York for a couple of years doing comedy there, and uh, I guess like the nicest thing was I got to uh, run a show in the East Village, and we had a lot of Vancouver comics coming in, and they would showcase on the show, and then. You know, they'd be able to be on the show with people like Wyatt Snack from oh, um, awesome. Daily Show. And so uh, that was probably the nicest thing, was getting to start that show. And that was kind of like the beginnings of me producing shows. And then it led to things like Cluster Fun back here. So, yeah. Um, so we have the, the show on Monday, Cluster yeah. Fun. Yeah. Uh, and let me just uh, read out some names for y'all. So that's Ivan Decker, Warren Bates. Katie Ellen Humphreys and other hilarious peoples. Uh, anyone else that you want to mention there? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think. Um, well, Kevin Lee's on the show as well from Sunday yeah, Service. Yeah, that's what I thought, but he wasn't on the poster. He should probably give you. a Oh yeah, about the that. new the new poster needs to be uh, needs to be up. It's one of those things where like uh, uh, shows will like some people will have to like drop out and then mm-hmm. people are added on, so posters will constantly change. But but, Kev- uh, but uh, he's kind of like Kevin Lee. He uh, he sells himself. Really? Yeah. You know? He's unbelievably talented. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know, like, I guess I'll break it down who's on the show. Break it down, Adam. Breaking it down work with... Up, work up, work up. Here's what we got. We got Ivan Decker, who's one of the country's best stand-up comics. Um, he tours everywhere. He's on uh, he's on CTV and CBC and the Comedy Network with his own special, and he's on the radio all the time. He's great. Whatever. Forget about it. Also <laughs> one of my best friends. And uh, Warren Bates, he's also a stand-up comic. He's uh, uh, incredible. He also runs a show called Comedy Laugh on uh, Main Street and uh, at Little Mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like one of the, my favorite up-and-comers. Also a good friend of mine. Love him. And then Kevin Lee is doing improv. He's doing solo improv. This is actually kind of hero show-ish. I've, I've seen him do his, his... Is he doing like kind of his monologue style? He's doing uh, improvised monologues. So funny. And, uh, I like it when he's gearing up, actually, as much yeah. as, like, that's probably... Yeah, he gets meta at the very beginning, where he's like, hey, how's it going? And he's got a really likable persona on stage. Yeah. So. Not in real life, though. What? He's so terrible. Oh, no, God. I'm... This guy is like a gem of goodness. I know. Oh, God. Yeah, I know, I'm trying to bring are... him down or not. She doesn't get a big head. Oh, man. Yeah, no jerks on this show. No Katie jerks. Ellen Humphreys, too. Also the sweetest human being alive. She's now, is this a sketch. coincidence or is this something you shoot for? I kind of shoot for it. I yeah. don't like jerks for some reason. Weird. That's weird. Uh, yeah, it is odd because I'm the worst. I, mm-hmm. uh, I kill birds. It's insane. No, I don't. Uh, not anymore, at least. I've uh, taken the pills. 
But no, it's uh, yeah, it's like I I want to just make a positive environment. Like a lot of people, a lot of stand-ups I know are like really negative and they'll just go up and be like, you know, just like a dark force. And it can be funny sometimes, but my whole goal has always been to be like, hey, like it's a big birthday. It's party. a cluster of fun, not a cluster of funk. Yes. Oh, so well put. That's Thank you. the tagline. <laughs> Though, I mean, funk can be pretty uplifting, too. Maybe we'll workshop it a little bit. Yeah, Cluster Funk will be when we do, like, a 70s throwback. (laughs) Cluster. Nice. Um, That was nice. Yeah. Uh, Adam Pinkman, could you please tell me a little bit about the shows that are happening on the lead-up? If we cannot, if you cannot achieve East Van Comedy on Monday, I know that you're in a bunch of places Mm -hmm. somewhere tonight. You're at the Comedy Mix. Tell us about those shows before we wrap it up. Okay, um, I am going to be performing at the Comedy Mix, which is the club downtown on uh, Berard and Helmkin. Is that how you even pronounce it? Helmkin. It sounds about right. Sure. Helmkin or Smythe. Hel- Helmkin. Smith A. Smythe. Um, it's for sure Smythe. It's Smith A. Uh, uh, but yeah, I'm middling there. Uh, Sunny Dollywall is headlining, and I will be doing half an hour uh, on uh, on those on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, so there's an 8.30 show uh, on Thursday, and then on Friday and Saturday, it's 8 o'clock and 10.30, and I'll be doing half-hour sets then. Um, that'll be great. And also tonight, I'm doing the the Corduroy, which is a, a James Masters and Jane Stanton show that's in, uh, in Kitsilano, and I'll be there tonight. Awesome. And yeah. I would love to join you, but I'm actually going to the Say What? Yes, Sarah Bino's show. show. Sarah also with East Van Comedy. Yep, East Van Comedy. So I feel like we're not cross. I'm not. I'm not anti-promoting you too much there. Oh no, she's great. That show is wonderful. Um, I uh, yeah, I've been on that show and she's the greatest. So yeah, EastVanComedy.com for details, guys. Everyone, uh, tickets. Everyone, that's where you go. It's only five dollars. You yeah. guys, that is just yeah. cut out one beer. Exactly. Less than a beer. It's Vancouver. Yeah, depends where you're going. If you're going somewhere fancy, that's less than the price of a beer. The average beer price here is seven fifty. Wouldn't you say? Come on, oh it's less gosh. than a beer. I don't know. This is how I order beer. What's your cheapest beer? So I don't really know mm-hmm. what the middle price is. I only know that where you can find like the three fifty and w- the four dollar ones. I always feel like that question. They like hate that question. They're just like, ah, you're cheap. Yeah, but I'm a, I'm a girl, so I can do whatever I want. Oh come on, that's sexist. When it comes to a, yeah, well, I can't get paid the same amount or like be a CEO, but when but I cannot make bartenders mad with my stupid jokes. Can you jokes. still not make the same amount? Come no, on, no, I think it's seventy percent now. Oh, it's two thousand and eight. Come on, guys. <laughs> I just woke I up from a coma. I can't wait till it's two thousand thirteen and we've solved all these problems. <laughs> I know, right? It's like oh. five years. We can do most of it. Yeah, man. Oh. Adam Bateman, thank you so much for joining us on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. Hey, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, You can go straight to adampateman.com. I'm there. I don't update that website very often, but what's on there is really great. And you're on the tweets, right? Uh, I am on Twitter. It's just straight at Adam Pateman uh, on Twitter, and you can follow me there. And what is your home address? Um, that would be five two two nine six. I'm just making up numbers at this. Oh, time. you should give them Kevin Lee's. <laughs> He'd love it. Um, <laughs> it's like someone's at my house. I'm so excited. Uh, Why yeah. does he have a knife? Yeah, there's a party at Kevin Lee's house tonight. Come on down. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Uh, thanks so much, Adam. On the outro, uh, let's let's skip that. Let's skip that jingle and let's hear a little evaporators. Sweet. Uh, we have uh, filmed at CITR special. Um, I hate being late, 
especially when I'm early. And this is the uh, South by Southwest version. You've been listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. We started a little late. We ended a little late. Get over it. At 6.30, we have uh, Sup World with Allie. Stay tuned. Good night. Night. <laughs>